Please note that this interview was recorded on October 30th, 2023. In our humble and completely unbiased opinion, Jason's knowledge bombs and insights are timeless, and so we have edited lightly. Please enjoy. All right, so welcome to a uh, you know dope discourse episode of the highly informed podcast brought to you by Benzinga. I'm your host, John Puro. Now, before we get to an awesome interview, I want to note that any ex- opinions I express are my own and not those of my law firm, Greenspoon Martyr, or of Benzinga. Uh, and so since we're here over video chat, I always like to do a quick prayer to the video chat gods. May our Wi-Fi connections be sturdy. All dogs and children remain quiet. And may Amazon prime another time. Amen. Now, I have the pleasure of introducing, uh, you know, Buddy, uh, the one and only Jason Wild, executive chairman of TerraSend and founder and CIO of JW Asset Management. I wonder what the JW stands for. Uh, (laughs) But uh, I wanted to thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to, you know, sit down with me and talk about some really, really interesting topics at a very interesting time in the industry. My pleasure. My pleasure. Nice to be here. Now, uh, you know, I think I need to ask you the question that everyone, you know, uh, you know, I, I got to start hard hitting question here, Jason. Yeah. All right. This let's yeah, just tell you, show you how serious I take this. So yeah. what was it like growing up with a super cool last name? Did your family like go for it and take the chance at Ellis Island and upgrade, you know, and just like it was something Wilderberg, Wilderstein, and you're just like wild. And then yeah. did you lean into that? Was this a self-fulfilling prophecy as you grew up? <laughs> uh, good question. Uh, I believe it was my grandparents, my grandfather's name, Wild. He came from Germany and he came to the U.S. in the late 30s. Uh, and that was his name when uh, when he came in through uh, Ellis Island. So it was not changed, although, you know, it is better than some of the some of the other ones that you you've mentioned. Uh, and growing up was uh, I always got like especially like the first uh, day of school I would always get from I remember from my elementary school teachers you know asking me uh, if I lived up to my name or, or something uh, like yeah. that. But maybe I sort of uh, maybe it's good maybe it's sort of set uh, expectations that uh, you know I was going to be a little more uh, outspoken or crazy than uh, than than some of the other kids. I guess. Yeah. There you go. I'm always jealous, you know, right? Because I mean, I told you at some point, right? I, I only found out recently that my name, right, means uh, feather in Russian, which made sense because I get crapped on by birds all my life because my ancestors were uh, chicken farmers. So I pay the karmic price for the bird blood on their oh. hands. So I, I just out of pure jealousy, you know, right? I mean, you got a cool name. I get shit on by birds because of mine. Um, so you know, as I was saying, like, you know, we are talking at a really, really interesting, momentous time in the industry, right, where we now are on the precipice possibly of, you know, with Schedule 3, uh, potentially some of the largest federal reform that, you know, in decades. Um, but, you know, I'm kind of curious at, at the same time, right, you know, let's talk about safe banking and safer and yeah. how we thought that that looked golden, you know, during the lame duck session once like, you know, Cory Booker did a 180. So I'm kind of curious to know your thoughts in terms of, you know, say schedule three goes through, we know about 280E, you know, some of the, you know, the systemic changes that you think could happen on the federal level also, but like, you know, your expectations on the legislative side, um, yeah. you know, in terms of seeing any change happen. Yeah. So the good news is, I guess, for the for the industry is that we have more sort of avenues towards 
getting reform than we did even uh, uh, a year or, or a year and a half or, or so ago. I mean, I, I think right around this time last year was when Biden said that he was directing the head of the HHS to evaluate whether this should be rescheduled or descheduled. Uh, and he pointed out how ridiculous it was that that Sentinel was uh, scheduled too. So yep. in the meantime, say failed last year, it was like, you know, Lucy pulling the, uh, the football yet again. Um, and we looked like we were making some progress this year. It got further along than it's gotten in, in the past in the Senate. Yep. Uh, but now the problem is, you know, the House is the sort of the wild card because of the changes that happened over there. So that unsafe or safer now, what they call it, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I would say it's, uh, I don't know. Some, I was going to say less than 50-50. I don't even know how to describe it. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure. But I feel a whole lot better that rescheduling like like rescheduling solves the problem so much better safe safe banking you know does not have the as you know the monumental impact the the you know not just the sizzle but the stake uh yep. that is what that's what schedule three is largely because this industry like maybe getting rid of 280e a couple of years ago was a nice to have at this point it's a must-have exactly and, you know uh, so many companies are are uh you know sort of zombies at this point because they uh borrowed too much money and the rates are too high and they weren't able to raise equity because all the stocks have gone down in almost a straight line for the last uh, two years so if uh if we don't get a 280e relief i think that a huge uh percentage of operators is is not gonna they're not gonna be able to be sustainable for the next for the next three to five years um especially the smaller operators I mean, the big ones too, because they borrowed too much money, a lot of them, but the smaller ones, because there's just no benefit of scale if you're, you know, uh, operating a, you know, a one-off dispensary or, or, or something like that. You just, uh, you, you can't, uh, you, you, you just can't get that, that benefit of having, uh, you know, multiple stores in a state or, or things like that. So we need, uh, we need the 280 relief. That looks like it would come with Schedule 3. I don't know that it's 100%, but I hear that's what people uh, certainly think. I, the 280 only, only applies to Schedule 1 and 2. So, yeah. so if that's the case, then, then I would think uh, logically uh, it wouldn't apply here. And that will be the lifeline for so many, uh, for so many companies. I mean, fortunately, at TerraSense, we... Uh, really uh fixed up our balance sheet over the last uh 15 months or so uh and we have significantly less less debt than we than we did um and and for that reason we believe that we're positioned to do really well and be sustainable meaning having true free cash flow after taxes and all that stuff we think we're in that position either way but there's a lot of there's a lot of other operators that uh that are sort of uh been uh you know, uh, just praying for uh, for some relief here, and I think, and and they might get it. You know what? And uh, I uh, I don't begrudge them for it. And my view is like, uh, those who screw up usually continue to screw up. And even if they get the benefit, some of the competitors who who might be thrown a lifeline, uh, they'll they'll screw it up again uh, uh, at some point. You know? Uh, so I, that's yeah yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. So I so I mean, obviously a lot that I'd love to like jump off and unpack there, right? And so I think yeah. that. You know, like 
you know, how many times do we get excited by safe only for it to not happen? Right. It looked better than it ever did. Right. And, you know, Mitch McConnell, like caught wind of it at like the last minute. And it was like, ah, hey, you know, I already accidentally yeah. legalized psychoactive, you know, cannabinoids. I'm not going to do anything else. Uh, it was what I heard through the grapevine yep. was like what happened there in terms of killing safe. Right. But now, look, I, I think that realists, pragmatists, you know, that I'll put us both under that cloud. The expectations are lower in terms of what, you know, we could expect from Congress, especially when you see something like, you know, the dysfunction between not being able to pick speakers, right, and conservatives. So talking about paths for reform, right, you're saying it's good that there is more paths to reform, you know, than there ever been, right? And Schedule 3, yeah, federal, and federal ones, actual federal ones, right? And And so bigger and better. Yes, Exactly. And Schedule 3, I mean, right? I mean, uh, being able to deduct your taxes, you know, just a cross the board profitability shot in the arm, right? You know, uh, <laughs> or right. giving a Popeye some spinach if we lean into the yeah. green. Um, that, well, Popeye's been starving. It's not yeah, even right? Popeye spinach. Popeye just needs like, uh, you know, some basic, you know, uh, the four food groups and uh, Popeye's starving. This to- isn't even like a Nobody, I think, can say there's a money grab for these companies. It's a matter of like letting, making it so that, uh, you know, I don't know, a huge percentage of the industry doesn't just disappear because it's so hard. Yeah. And so, right. So we can't put faith in Congress. Like, I mean, just honestly, the expectation of anything happened bipartisan, especially when you have an election coming up, like you need to adjust your expectations lower, right? Putting even aside like the ridiculous dysfunction that we see internally in certain parties. Right. So then schedule three, I do think this moves forward because that's just a win on Biden's side without having to reach across the aisle. And right. Similarly, you know, a very, very interesting thing that happened this past week, um, you know, which you you folks are, you know, supporters of is this, you know, lawsuit filed uh, on behalf of some small. And you also referenced earlier. Right. Smaller operators feel the hurt more. Right. The high banking fees, the high insurance fees, um, you know, the incapability to register trademarks as a brand geek. Right. All of these things are are felt by everyone. Right. And it's it's always been interesting to me that, you know, I I was with safe banking. Right. That before, for example, like Cory Booker changed his mind. They're like, oh, safe's going to help the big operators and everything. But then to hear Johnson, a friend of mine, when he was with, uh, I think, the United Cannabis Council, right, he had an event. It was all minority owned businesses. And they said, right, if you pull the entire industry, right, banking and tax reform is the number one issue, 70 percent. Right. That's everybody. And and so you folks are supporting this new lawsuit uh, filed by David Bowie's well-known lawyer, uh, you know, Gorby Bush, uh, sliding doors. Could have been very different world Um, and, you know, other, you know, major cases. And, you know, these were some smaller operators uh, filing out of Massachusetts. And I find it interesting as an approach strategically, one, because I'm a lawyer, but two, because it's you're not this could theoretically be right. A big push towards federal reform, not relying on Congress. Right. And what it, the interesting thing about to me, like it, it's very interesting to me, I'll say this. I was going to do a post on LinkedIn about it, you know, in terms of the strategy is right. When we're talking about how are you going to convince 
you know, like some conservatives and stuff, right? The folks that are more socially conservative and therefore less likely to support something that's considered socially liberal, like weed, right? Leaning into states' rights or the libertarian element is an angle. And, you know, while, you know, Chuck Schumer was never able to convince Rand Paul necessarily to cross over to his legalization plan, with the makeup of the current Supreme Court, doesn't this get interesting? Right. Because, yeah. you know, so, I mean, I, I don't want you to say anything, you know, like a step over any lines or anything, but I'm just, you know, yeah. curious, you know, like, I think that this is a pathway that could actually accomplish something. Yeah, I think they, I think that they can, because it's, there's uh what it, what it, I forgot. I was going to use one of those cliches that like, that there's something for everybody, like the argument that's made as it relates to the conservatives who control the court uh, is that it's a it's a state's rights issue and if you look at back at reich uh, versus gonzalez back in 05 it also there was uh you know a lot of conservative support uh, at that point but it was uh, yep. the liberals controlled the court uh and clarence thomas wrote the dissenting opinion so uh and then he wrote that dictum about two years ago uh where he uh you know uh updated some of his thoughts on that so we know what he thinks uh, and we think that there's also, like you saw in the uh, in the complaint, there's so much that's different about uh, 2005 versus today, uh, because the the liberals, their view was uh, fine. All this other stuff might make sense, but uh, cannabis is fungible and it can cross state lines, and you can't tell the difference of what's legal and what's illegal. And they were worried about interstate commerce. Well, now. Uh, you know, the state of Massachusetts is a perfect example of a very well-controlled legal cannabis market. Uh, there is not a whole lot of, you know, uh, material uh, interstate commerce uh, coming in or, or, or certainly out of Massachusetts in terms of that product. Uh, and also, back, back uh, 50, however, in 2005, the government's stated goal was the eradication of cannabis. And that is not their stated goal in terms of the coal memo and uh, and yep. all the other uh, positions that they've taken. So why is this still? Why does this meet the level in in terms of the, in the commerce clause where it's so important? It's such an important issue that the states can't be trusted to do it themselves, and they need the federal government to step in and help them. In fact, it's been the opposite. The federal government has, you know. Uh, squandered any opportunity to harmonize federal law with what the states have been doing. They've generally said to the states, you, you know, we'll let you do what you're going to do. We're not going to prosecute anyone as long as there's no organized crime or anything like that. So why is this still uh, such an important issue that the states can't can't be trusted uh, to do themselves? And also, because this comes up a lot, I know like anyone who's gone to law school, it's all about one of the big things are the commerce clause and the dormant commerce clause and and all of that. And it's like this is really it's not the dormant commerce clause and it's not about interstate commerce. It's about intrastate commerce and whether states should be able to decide uh, how they want to run their programs. And and if they do decide that they're legalizing, they're going to have a legal program and the operators that are in that state are following that legal program then it's unconstitutional in our view that the federal government is still considering us in violation of the Controlled Substances Act. And that, I think it's great. And 
You know, another thing I think is interesting about it, Jason, is like when we talk about when we play Toker Damas, we play Smoker Damas, we talk about what will federal legalization look like. I kept on coming back to the idea that, you know, everyone's like, oh, it's going to be grown in the cheapest place in the yeah. country and it's going to be shipped around. And I'm just like, I'm not so sure about that, right? The model is where all of these states have built up, right, as their own little microcosms yeah. in our unique system where, you know, states' rights versus federal government. Who's to say that this wasn't the mo- you know, like a model that it's there are interest state, you know, and it maintains that to some extent. Yeah. And so I just think that it's pointing out, you know, like the lawsuit. I mean, I just think it's pointing out their like ridiculousness, right? Like yeah. his, you know, Clarence Thomas's, you know, uh, you know, uh, like you said, dictum, right? You know, that's that's the real legal term that we learn in law school, right? It's, I just uh, learned it like I just learned it like six weeks ago, so I'm trying yeah. to incorporate into my conversations. Yeah, there you go. No, yeah, I know. So for for the rest of the crowd who haven't, you know, yeah. been to law school, right? It's the it's the pardon and opinion, right? That's not the actual holding. It's where they're throwing something out there. And it's extremely important when it's the Supreme Court because I mean Supreme Court is, you know, it's chess. And you know, all other courts are checkers, right? They are signaling when they say things in their you know, concurring opinions, they're dissenting opinions, they're signaling things that they want to see, right? And this is yeah. this, you know, a strategy where, I mean, I think Thurgood Marshall did it with respect to, um, you know, segregation and everything, right? Where it's they, you're, you're bringing in cases in a sequence, you know, from little signals that you have to try and get your ultimate result. And, and so I think that as soon as I saw that, right, this lawsuit is like the natural evolution of that, just kind of like trying to point out the ridiculousness of the current federal position. I mean, one thing that pisses me off more than anything in terms of like the ridiculous hypocrisy of Schedule 1, right? We have CBD. It is not psychoactive, right? It is the active ingredient in, you know, like Schedule 1 means no medical value whatsoever, right? It's the worst of the worst, right? The worst of the worst. Fentanyl Schedule 2, right? And then you say that there's no medical value, and yet CBD, an active ingredient, right, is the active ingredient in a medicine that reduces kids with awful seizure disorders 80% by putting a couple drops under their tongue, right? And what did they do? They, like, carved out Epidiolex in its own category. No, that's a part of the plant, right? It's this, like, the logical absurdity of the position, which really was for political reasons when you look back at, like, Nixon and everything, you know, I think that the, the lawsuit just kind of like calls it out. You know, as we were saying, I think really, you know, the the lawsuit has the opportunity to you know push things forward in a really interesting way, um, you know, possibly open things up in terms of, you know, the states, you know, being more hands off. Uh, and so I'm you know optimistic, right, that these different pathways will, you know, end up having progress now. Speaking of other progress and, you know, uh, complex strategery, as I like to say in a very dated SNL, you know, presidential uh, impression reference, uh, everything leads back to Will Ferrell. You know, so you folks, you know, uh, you know, kind of pioneered things with the Toronto Stock Exchange, Um, you know, and so I'm curious to have you kind of talk a little bit about that in terms of how that's opened things up. Um, and the process, you know, because uh, nice to, when you're in this industry to be a trailblazer, pun always intended. Yeah, 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 <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> uh, 
So yes, we, we're the first uh, U.S. Uh, plant touching um, operator that is listed on a major exchange. The TSX is the third largest exchange in North America after the NASDAQ and the uh, New York Stock Exchange. And when we um, originally started talking to the TSX uh, seriously about, about a listing, you know, about a year ago or so, we, we decided to move forward on it because we thought that it would increase the volume and liquidity in our stock, which also lowers you know, the bid ask spread because there's more mm -hmm. participants uh, uh, in, in the market uh, transacting. Uh, and, while, and while we thought that it would increase our volume because it would be able to bring in uh, Canadian institutional and retail investors and European retail and institutional investors, we weren't sure. The question that we uh, always got within the first couple of questions about it was, is it going to fix U.S. custody? where there were funds, uh, institutional uh, funds and things like that, that their prime brokers would not allow, would not custody these securities for them. And also a couple of years ago now, uh, Pershing, who clears like the most uh, shares, I believe, uh, in, in the United States, they uh, put uh, all of the U.S. plant touching operators on their restrictive list where they cannot be uh, transacted in. So when it came to custody, we said, we don't know. We think again, we think there's going to be more volume, but we don't know if it's going to help in the U.S. with institutional uh, custody. And now, a few months later, because we first uh, started trading on July 4th, um, now we know that it has it seems like it has largely solved custody. Uh, there are several um, broker dealers and uh, and other firms, you know, prime brokerage firms that have removed Terracent from their blocked uh, security list, um, including Pershing. Uh, so the immediate be immediate benefit we got of that is uh, uh, the MSOS ETF uh, historically uh, uh, buy, has to buy their holdings in U.S. operators via swaps because they can't own them directly. But because we are now on the TSX, they have been able to uh, buy our shares directly. They're also obviously if we can custody it, um, there's a, you know a, a good amount of in institutional. Uh, potential institutional interest that may not have been able to like that the plumbing wouldn't allow for them to invest in the past and now they can it doesn't mean that it's going to convince uh these funds to invest in us it just means that it's not going to be the blocker if we do get them to if we do convince them to invest with us and it's not going to get a it's not going to get held up so i think that's uh that's been a huge positive and overall the volume uh of our stock even before the schedule the rescheduling news you know leaked on bloomberg I don't know how many weeks ago that was, eight weeks or so ago. Even before that, um, our stock uh, post the TSX listing versus prior, uh, our volume was up 140%, uh, and the bid ask spread uh, materially narrowed. Uh, and then with the with the rescheduling news, the volume continued to increase. Uh, and I would say, uh, I saw an article last week or, or so that our volume's up like 300%. Uh, versus prior to the uh, TSX listing. So we've been very happy. It's exceeded our expectations from the custody perspective. Uh, and now we got to, you know, uh, get out there and, and you know, tell the story uh, a little bit more. Uh, and we think we have a great, great story to tell, even though the, the industry is extremely challenging. We've been, from a fundamental perspective, we've really been uh, executing reasonably well. And our view, like, it, it just boils down to, in terms of being on the TSX, it's like, uh, you know, we, this is what we were saying uh, a year ago. It's like a, uh, if we continue to execute, we could end up being the, like a, a tree that fell in the woods and nobody even knew about it because 
nobody was there to hear it or there were less participants. So if we continue and as we continue to execute, we think that it should be able to uh, attract a, a wider audience of, uh, of uh, investors. No, I mean, as you said, right, you also systematically like attacked your, your, you know, your debt, right, right. And I mean, like all of this was, you know, complex strategy in terms of as you did that and then the TSX move, you know, yeah. an imitation being the sincerest form of flattery, you know, already in my, you know, news aggregator, you guys are there and you're going to take advantage of this, you know, kind of opportunity, as you said. Now, yeah. in terms of things, you know, that are proceeding well, right, because you guys are, you know, selective in terms of the states where you're at. Uh, Maryland, you know, I know obviously was uh, was a big deal. It's a, a state that everyone's very, very excited about. Um, and so, you know, how has everything gone there in terms of plans and the adult use launch? Yeah, Maryland's been great. The good thing is Maryland learned, I think they learned the lesson from watching New York, you know, up the road. <laughs> and they realized that if you have too long of a lag between, you know, uh, decriminalizing it or having here, in this case, the voters uh, voting on it, and you take too long, then the illicit market floods in there and you're starting, you know, on your back foot, right? So Maryland, uh, the, the vote in November of last year, and they kicked off the full adult use program on July 1st. Um, we had our situation in Maryland was we bought uh, about two and a half years ago or so, we announced we were buying a cultivation license and a small grow there. Uh, but we said we were mainly buying it as a paper license because we were planning on building out a brand new, much larger grow. And we just wanted to be there for when REC was going to come, which we didn't know, but we thought it was pretty close. And we also said, since there's a four cap on dispensaries, meaning you can't have more than four retail dispensaries, we don't need to be, we can come in here non-vertically integrated because the prize is REC. And as long as we think we can reasonably think that we can get to close to that four cap by the time REC starts, then, then that's all we need. You know, it's like, as every as I think a lot of people in the cannabis industry have seen, like that last however many months between uh, medical turning into turning to rec is like the worst place you can be because everybody's turning up turning up capacity for rec and there's only a medical market to sell into for that period yep. of time. So we felt like uh, we were able to you know hang around the hoop. We entered we entered we signed the deal in the summer of last year for one high performing dispensary. Uh, which we ended up closing in the first quarter of this year. But we essentially entered the year with zero retail. Uh, and then uh, we were able to go out and buy another three uh, uh, dispensaries uh, right leading right into uh, right into rec. Uh, so we're at the four cap. We think we might have the most market share, uh, bearing in mind that it's four stores out of out of a hundred uh, or so in the state. But we think we have amongst the best stores, two of them we think are in the top, Five percent of the stores in the state, uh, and we think we got really super reasonable terms because this, like, that's the that sort of you know we've been talking internally for like seven months, saying like uh, sort of it's so bad it's good. I mean, the environment is so distressed that there's opportunities that are really going to be coming up, and this is one of those situations because Terracent has been has gone deeper and less wide, and we're in less states. We've got like a wide open map. And to be able to enter places that are coming on, you know, that are like the most promising uh, new markets coming on, to be able to enter there when when so many of our other competitors are already capped out there, it's like there's very little competitive tension in terms of to buy these uh, assets. So it's worked out. It's worked out really well, and it's really that is uh, we had our investor day a couple of weeks ago, 
And uh, we put out a press release beforehand uh, with our, uh, raising our guidance. But even more importantly in there was we, we talked about how for the second half of the year, because of Maryland, we uh, will be cash flow positive, meaning like after taxes and interest and all that. And that's because Maryland finally gave us that scale to be able to have, you know, uh, you know, uh, have more money drop to the bottom line uh, and not have it all uh, eaten up by this uh, operating expenses that you can't even deduct, you know, from your uh, from your taxes. Uh, and that's the thing, by the way, like the crazy thing is we are still just the tip of the iceberg, right? In terms of how much money is going to come in, right? We're on the precipice of all this federal reform. And that's yep. why, you know, like you said, and the interesting thing also that you said is, you know, in terms of by being more restrained and disciplined in terms of where the opportunities are, right? I mean, I think that we the, there are these systemic issues we see all these different states happen and the regulators don't necessarily learn their lesson. And like one of them, I think a big one we've talked about in the past is like oversupply, right? But all that means ultimately in some of these more mature markets is that they're probably distressed assets that you could circle back to those states and pick up some quality on the cheap. Um, yep. You know, and as you said, get into states that are very appealing, like Maryland, um, you know, and also, you know, close to where my you know, the home is. I drive by the apothecarium in uh, Maplewood relatively oh. often. Right. And I um, I thought it was interesting looking at where your dispensaries are in Jersey. Right. And, you know, we were talking a little bit about the idea of, you know, when looking, say, like in Maryland, right, where for acquisition targets, the idea of, you know, location by respect to other surrounding states and, you know, what, you know, I'm curious to know some of the, you know, the considerations that you have there, yeah. right, and how you see it sometimes playing out performance wise. Yeah, absolutely. So, yes, it's it's very, there's a lot of um, sort of different factors that go into whether you want to, whether we want to enter a state uh, based upon, you know, where they are in terms of their medical to rec, you know, legalization. Generally, we prefer to enter states before they go rec because there's no like, uh, if they're already rec, then there's no like rec 2.0 necessarily that's going to go double or triple the market again unless we get, you know, full legalization. So that sort of uh, ranks pretty high in terms of places that we want to, uh, that we want to go. But then, like in terms of Maryland uh, locations for these dispensaries, I mean, we had a big influx of sellers of dispensaries because there's a lot of mom and pop, uh, you know, single uh, dispensary owners in Maryland. And what I left out earlier was that when the when the state put out the regs, like in March of this year, they put something in there that uh, that if you turn your medical dispensary, if you flip it to rec, that you can't sell it for five years or transfer it. So that ended up bringing in a lot of a big influx of of opportunities for us to look at. And it was sort of like, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, we were drinking out of a fire hose a little bit. Uh, but some of the ones that were the most attractive to us were the ones that were on borders with other states that are not wrecked yet. Now, that's not something that lasts, you know, forever. But yeah. uh, especially if you're in a good, if you're in a state that is a good program, it can last for a good amount of time. Let's go back, let's talk about Jersey. Jersey, in addition to, uh, Jersey having uh, low uh, gasoline taxes, and that's why people drive over from New York into Jersey because it's, you know, I forgot how many percent uh, less material. Uh, also, in cannabis, taxes are much lower in Jersey. Reasonable. I mean, yep. much, much lower. I think it's uh, Jersey is, I want to say, 8.8% or so on yeah. cannabis. Yep. Is that right? Yeah. Versus yeah, it's right around nine. Yeah, totally. It's it is uh, looking at the entire map it is quite low. 
Um, yes. so and New York yeah. is high. New oh, yeah. York is, uh, uh, you know, potency based and, and all the rest. So, so like being near a border, that could be something if you're in the right state, that could be something that's a sustainable advantage. I mean, I know that the, uh, I grew up in Rockland County up to Palisades Parkway from Jersey and that Exxon station at exit one, when you get right over into Jersey is, you know, that thing's a gold mine, you know, for, for the last 50 years or whatever it is. Right. So we like being near borders. Um, especially, you know, uh, mainly uh, if they don't have a rec program yet, but we still think that they could be sustainable, good, um, good properties, even, even once that, uh, even once that changes. Uh, and then, you know, our, actually our number one performing store in the country uh, is one of our smallest. It's in Phillipsburg, which is on the border of Pennsylvania. Uh, and again, you know, people in Pennsylvania, it's, Pennsylvania's got a big population, 13 million people. Uh, they like to smoke weed. Uh, they don't allow all of the uh, form factors in Pennsylvania, as you know. There's no, yep. uh, I think, uh, pre-rolls and uh, and uh, and edibles are, uh, uh, I, I know, is like a gray area. I think they're called trochies. They have to be considered uh, more medicinal. But, um, you know, you have a medical, mar a you know, sort of a, a medical market that's a little restricted in terms of form factors. And then you have right five minutes across the, the bridge over to Phillipsburg. Uh, you have a rec market with uh, more form factors uh, and low taxes, and it's really uh, it's it's worked out well for us. Same thing in Maryland. One of our best store, two of our best stores out of those four in Maryland, are within one of them's you know uh, less than five miles from both West Virginia and Pennsylvania from the border. Uh. And remember, if you have a high performing medical store in most states, I believe I know it's the case in Maryland, you can't take out of state. Uh, uh, you know, um, patients, but once it goes wreck, then that all changes. So, exactly. uh, so that's where we are. Uh, we're in the Cumberland area of Maryland with that one store. And then the other stores in the peninsula area, right on the way to ocean city. And like within, I think it's got no other stores in 25 mile radius and it's right near the Delaware border. So, you know, we're happy. Uh, we're happy with what, with what we're saying so far. And I find it interesting, right, because when I was eyeing Maryland, you know, going back a couple of years when, you know, thinking that was going to cross over, I thought one of the things that would be appealing is, you know, being on the border, being close, all those people who go into D.C. And then D.C. did that crazy, oh, anyone can certify themselves for any medical condition whatsoever, and they're going to let some illicit stores cross over. So I'm like, all right. So I think that probably devalued that area. Right? right. And so you like you, you know, systematically, strategically focused on the other borders um, yeah. that were, you know, more appealing because of, you know, where they are. Um, yep. So I find that, you know, very, very, uh, you know, interesting as a, you know, as a strategy in terms of how you, you know, worked with everything on that. Um, yeah. So, I, and it, yeah. And it was just combing through. So I was just going to say it was just it's a matter of combing through. You want as many rocks to turn over as you possibly can. Because, you know, in terms of finding, uh, you know, uh, I don't know what the cliche is, your truth prince or whatever it is. Oh, no, that's kissing <laughs> frogs. That's kissing uh, a lot of frogs or something. But we, you know, we once those regs came out in Maryland, we pretty much deprioritized any other uh, M&A, uh, you know, uh, deals that we were working on because we felt like it was so important and we had such an opportunity to to swoop in here. And it's so funny. I remember uh, one of the uh, stores, I forgot which one. We were like closing. Uh, it was like 24 hour. It was the last day of June. And uh, and we were and after we closed and we wanted to send. We thought there was going to be such an influx of business. We wanted uh, them to take delivery of more 
uh, you know, uh, bring in some more inventory because uh, we were worried they're going to run out. And the manager there was talking to Ziad, our CEO, and said, I can't, I don't have any more. I know it's going to be at the uh, X times the, the pace of uh, under medical, but I don't have any room here. I'm in the, I'm in the vault. I, there's, I have no room. And Ziad said to him, you're standing in the vault? And the guy said, yes. He said, so step out of the vault and put the uh, product where you were standing. So, I don't know, just reminded me of that. I thought uh, you'd, you'd uh, get a kick out of that. <laughs> yeah, it's you. <laughs> then you have room. That yeah. reminds me. And it also, uh, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. So I... Uh, so I got to talk a little bit also being, uh, you know, as one last topic as a brand geek, right? Obviously, you folks have, you know, your own brands and you have a partnership with cookies, right? I like to say now my expression with my pot puns always is in terms of how early it is in the industry to say that we could kind of prosper and do good and help everyone, right? Because the regulators can't get it right. I like to say we could eat our cookies and smoke them too, right? So... I'm curious to know, you know, I mean, hear a little bit in terms of like how that partnership has played out, um, your strategy with respect to brands and how you cater it, uh, you know, as a, a bigger company, right, in different markets and the ability to be flexible and customize according to the marketplaces. Yeah, absolutely. So we do have a, a now a, the fu a full spectrum uh, on the brands. Cookies is definitely at the at the higher end. Uh, also, and part of the reason we did the gauge deal in Michigan, uh, it was largely to get those operations in Michigan. And the good thing about Michigan is when you get it right, and where we've started to get it right more recently, when you get it right in Michigan, there's no license caps. We could own, you know, 100 plus dispensaries if they if they made sense. So that was a big part of, uh, you know, uh, where we see where we saw the upside and that and there's tons of opportunities to buy mom and pops there as well. I mean, there's hundreds of independent uh, dispensaries. But the other reason we bought Gage was for the brand. And I felt like, uh, you know, two or three years ago, I felt like these East Coast states that were uh, first starting to go uh, wreck, uh, that the branding wasn't necessarily as sophisticated as some of the states like on the West Coast or, or in Michigan. And I uh, absolutely love the Gage brand. It had definitely sort of uh, separated itself in the in the Michigan market and with our iconic. Uh, oh wait, I have my uh, shirt on. I don't know if it's, it's, yeah, you're on. We got to see the yeah, swag. Yeah, uh, orange. Um, but we were excited about launching those brands uh, and those uh, strains and genetics and all that in in other states as well. In addition to, they were really the first uh, relation. They had the relationship with cookies. So that's how we got, uh, you know, into that relationship with uh, with cookies. Um, so sort of a couple of years later uh, or a year and a half later since the closing, I would say the Gage branded stuff is doing really well in our other states. In New Jersey, it's amongst uh, some of the top uh, uh, SKUs in the, in the overall in the whole uh, in the whole market. Uh, it's launched in uh, Maryland as well. It's obviously uh, it does well in Michigan um, and cookies as well. Those. Both of those brands, and some, and we often launch sort of uh, new products uh, or those brands into markets. We launch them together because uh, it just brings out a bigger uh, sort of uh, audience, and uh, people will often drive far for uh, cookies products. Uh, yep. So it pays to have uh, you know some other uh, some of our other brands uh, launching uh, launching at the same time. Uh, and more recently, we've uh, rolled out in all of our states. Uh, also a value brand, because it seems like in this uh, economy, it's very stratified. It's either people want like the best 
or they want premium. cheap stuff for you know a good quantity of stuff for for relatively uh, you know for not a lot of money. So we launched uh, uh, our brand uh, Legend. Uh, we've launched it in all of our states and it's doing really well. And the margins are similar because uh, first of all, we sell it in larger packaging. Like I know in Michigan, we sell, we only sell it in uh, one ounce sizes. Yep. So we're able to uh, save a little bit on uh, packaging and labor around uh, around all of that. Uh, and we've been able to source uh, really high quality stuff. I mean, Michigan, as you know, was the epicenter of uh, super competitiveness, uh, say a year ago. Things are, uh, you know, pricing has stabilized and come back a little bit. Uh, but yep. you can still, there's a big demand for outdoor, like high, quali high quality outdoor grown uh, weed in Michigan. And, um, you know, like I said, we make a, we make a similar margins uh, on, on, on both. Uh, and then you have something for everybody. Also, like in, in Jersey or in Maryland, some of these states where it's more expensive, you want to be able to uh, offer people, because uh, a lot of people don't want the best of the best. They just, uh, they, uh, they want a cheap, uh, you know, a, a cheap source of, uh, of THC, you know, like whether, you know, like even from a milligram perspective. Yeah, no. And I, and I look, I think that the interesting thing, I think seeing some of these states, right, where the markets were more mature and there's like struggles and everything. The interesting thing to me still was you're looking at Michigan or like Massachusetts, these places, and they're breaking their state sales records. People yep. are buying more. The units right? are going and up so, like crazy. Yeah. And so it leads you and you're not the first person to say it, that there's this then this focus on value. Right. And so there are brands like Old Pal that have done very yeah. well, you know, down taking that model and just going down that path. And I find it very, very interesting, too, because there's been such this focus in the industry on um, high potency. Right. And I think it works both ways. Right. Because I feel like there are the, you know, the canisters with the high tolerance. But also you see certain states like the more mature ones like Washington who are like, oh, we might, you know, do a, like the, the New York potency tax, I think, came out of a little bit of that focus that created lab shopping issues and everything. But I find it interesting as someone with lower tolerance. Right. That, you know, value brands and yeah, I mean, I guess the THC value that that's where the focus is shifting and it makes a lot of sense to me right and i also think that you know low dose things like on-site consumption i'm very excited about right that's a game changer and one of the reasons why is that it's not something that the illicit market offers right that's something that the legal market we're gonna have you know the dibs on and all these sorts of different experiences and low dose value brands could do very well there so um you know that's something interesting so uh, we're reaching the end of our time here. So oh, I yeah. just, uh, anything you want to do, Toker Damas, any predictions, any last uh, points you want to make, Mr. Wild? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've, everybody, and this is purely like, uh, yeah, putting my finger in the air and, uh, and looking to make some, make a, a bold, uh, uh, prediction, but I think the rescheduling could happen a lot sooner. Like I've sort of in my head, and again, it's just been a guess, but I've been thinking hopefully by the end of the first half of next year. From your lips to Hashem, whatever God, yeah. deity, you go for ears on that one. All right. So always a pleasure. Good, sir. I really thank you for taking the time. And uh, oh, yeah, you know, I think people will enjoy it. All right. Yeah, it was fun. Thank you.